everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
Oh, hi, hello there, and welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am that host of yours, Liv. And just like I promised last week, we are back today with just a little bit more about Sparta. So during my Spartan series, Twitter friend Julia reached out to me through Twitter. I just said that. Uh, Because she'd studied this poem of Alkman and was wondering if I wanted to chat about him. And honestly, I just like how perfect. I'd already recorded those episodes about Spartan culture and history and I'd encountered Alkman, but I wasn't really able to use him much in the episodes. Still, he's just like a great source for Sparta because he is like kind of our only Spartan source. It's just that he wrote lyric poetry, which is considerably less useful for the purposes that I had for this series. But it does provide like so much insight into the culture and tradition of when it was performed. Enter Julia Peroni. Julia is the host of the podcast Classically Trained, and she studies primarily theater and Homeric texts. <gasps> Love it. Uh, but fortunately, also had a whole ton of knowledge to share about this particular poem of Alkman. This was a seriously fascinating and fun conversation that eventually just devolved into us talking about ancient sourcing and tragedy and lost texts. And oh my God, it might not have all been directly about Alkman, but it was interesting because I mean, it's the ancient world and every tiny thing about it is fascinating and I could talk about it forever. Fortunately, uh, that's what this conversation is for. So sit back and enjoy a bit more about Sparta and particularly a bit more about Spartans as just a lovely Greek city-state that had lovely and wholesome traditions, rather than the militaristic weirdos that they're made out to be. The Sparta of Alkman is a lovely, song-and-dance-filled Sparta. Conversations Singing the Songs of Sparta, Alkman's First Parthenion with Julia Peroni. I'll just jump right into this is that we are talking because of Sparta, which is so great. I was so glad to get your message of like more Spartan content, essentially, which is so exciting. But why don't you tell us kind of like why you reached out, like what the deal is with, is it pronounced Alkman? And by that, I mean, that, pronounced in English, quote unquote, whatever you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, as usual, Greek pronunciation is fake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah uh, uh, I say Alkman. I think that's fine. Um great. I, yes. So I am not a person who knows a lot about Sparta as like a general policy in in terms of my scholarship. I'm like a Homer person and an Athenian tragedy person. I mean, um, those are all the things I love in this world. I respect that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Like, those are my favorite things. But uh, I took a course, uh, you know, I'm in grad school and I took a course last year on Um, Greek lyric poetry in general as sort of a survey and one of the poets that we read was Alkman and I did like a paper about him and this particular poem um, which is called it's Alkman fragment one I is I believe how the numbering usually goes as usual again (laughs) yeah yeah everything's fake right I just want to use this as an opportunity to express my annoyance with fragmentary numbering and like I understand where it's like that but the number of times that I have been like I would like to find another translation of this fragment of Sappho and then the numbering is like not standard across all of the translations and I'm like yeah how 
supposed to know what poem is what if I can find the Greek and then like four different English translations, but the numbering isn't the same. Yeah. And like, yeah, fragmentary numbering is really bad. And so, so Alkman, this fortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, we don't have very much Alkman. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about Alkman, you're probably talking about fragment one, which is also known as either the first Parthenaeon or Alkman's Parthenaeon sometimes, and also sometimes known as the Louvre Parthenaeon, I assume because the fragment is at the Louvre in France. We love to name things after the colonial placement of where they are and not where they come from. Yep. Love that. Favorite Venus thing. Venus Milo, um, anyone? <laughs> yep. Um, but yes, so uh, I tend to think of this as the first Parthenaeon, um, which is so-called because it is a thing written for, um, you know, Parthenoi, the, the, the young, young women. It's a poem mm-hmm. that is composed for a chorus of young women, which is actually kind of unusual. We have quite a lot of choral poetry in Greek lyric and in um, Greek drama and stuff like that. But um, most choruses, you know, for for those who are familiar with tragedy, you'll know, for example, that all of the actors and also all of the chorus members in Greek tragedy are men. Um, And also that like in Athens, there were choral poetry competitions and and, like stuff like that also. Um, But those were mostly also choruses of men there were some choruses of women choruses of women are not unheard of certainly but they're less common and we also really don't have as many bits of poetry that were composed for a chorus of women as we do for choruses of men so surprising yeah uh, welcome to ancient greece yeah we're about men here <laughs> we're about men here that is the like, official tagline of ancient greece. <laughs> but this poem is about women amazing <laughs> or at least the the bit of it that we have is all about women um it's a great poem i mean it is very fragmentary uh we have i think we have about 50 ish lines intact which seems like it might be maybe about half Mm. of the full length so the almost the entire first what what we think is maybe the first half i i'm not 100 percent sure of the like papyrus situation or whatever like where where like the manuscript right um i love what i know is fascinating in itself the idea that we don't know if it's the first half or we don't like i just that's so interesting yeah i mean we know that what we have is not the beginning because Mm. like there's fragmentary bits of the beginning right okay but we're not sure how close to the beginning the fragmentary bits from the start that we have actually extend or if there's even more from before even earlier in the poem than that right like how many lines there might be completely missing from mm-hmm. the beginning we don't know um what we do have is and i'm just like i'm like looking at my text <laughs> as we go to to double check my mm-hmm. my memory here um we have up to what is numbered up to line 100 of the poem the meaningfully intact stuff starts around line 35 hmm. so yeah we have like 
a little over half of the lines that we can suppose to know something about. I love but, that. Sorry, it's just like the way you have to try to phrase these things because of yeah. how fragmentary and questionable it is, is like, does this make any sense? Like, kind of, if you bend over backwards. And I just respect that. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and yeah, so this poem was composed by a poet named Alkman who was as far as we know spartan again so again uh, even yet more uncertainty um most people uh most people think that he was uh like that he he certainly at least he lived in sparta and mm. worked in sparta and he wrote in the dialect of sparta um which i'm going to confidently say is doric and if i'm wrong about that I'm sorry. <laughs> I would um, assume it's Doric because of their whole yeah. Dorian everything. But I yes, also don't uh, know more than that. So we'll go with there's, it. There's probably some sub-dialect that I don't yeah, know about. And that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, he, is, he was a prominent lyric poet. He was kind of the first of what the Alexandrians referred to as the nine lyric poets the like nine great lyric poets um who also include like sappho and you know these there's a bunch of people from the archaic period alchemin is as far as we know the earliest um mm. he seems to have been working uh towards the in like the seventh century maybe the beginning of the seventh century sometime wow. um so he seems to have predated sappho a bit yeah um and that's bce of course and he i don't fuck around with ad or ce yeah n <laughs> me neither uh neither do i uh listen if i have to Rome, cover Rome, i'm sorry like, but... fine but it's a real stretch for me so yeah um and as far as what we know about him um there's not much essentially there's like a couple of kind of biographical notes in various later sources mm -hmm. including a reference to him in the suda which is a later i'm not actually sure what time period it's from but it's a greek like, like compendium but i might have just yeah i think that sounds right yeah and you know compendium of people and what they say about him is that he uh what they say about him is that he was a laconian from a, a laconian town called masoa um, but that according to other people, he might have been a Lydian from Sardis. Huh. So some people That's think he was stretch. Lydian. Okay. Yeah. And it's possible. I mean, it's entirely possible that he was, was born in Lydia and then right. moved to Sparta or to Laconia or whatever. But also there's a tradition that he was Laconian. So yeah. we don't really know for sure where he was from, just that he certainly lived and worked in Sparta and he he wrote poetry there in their dialect and that he seems to have written poetry for spartan like of spartan culture you know um mm. so this poem the other reason that this poem is really interesting aside from being about women and having some kind of there's some kind of interesting stuff going on with like women's like 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 eroticism and women mm. but also there is quite a lot of interesting like religious and ritual stuff which scholar because there's so little about spartan cult and ritual mm -hmm. practice out there 
yeah there's nothing th- this is like a fun poem to speculate yeah to, use to speculate with <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like and you know michaela would know better at this point because uh she basically has done all the research for this sparta series that i've been doing thank the nice. gods i don't know how i would have survived without somebody who's actually studying this right now and has access to library resources <laughs> um, yeah there's, there's a reason i i only mess with mythology that's because it's what i know um but mm-hmm. that's all to say like as far as I understand it, like Alkman might be one of the few, if not like the only real Spartan source that we have. And it sounds like he's not even like 100% definitely really Spartan, quote unquote, whatever. Yeah, That's so he's very, yeah, he's very, um, yeah, yes, we don't have very many Spartan authors. Um, we mostly have other people mm-hmm. saying, and especially Athenians, yeah. saying stuff about Spartans. And the Athenians had some hot takes about Sparta. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's so, been like the whole point of the series basically is to be like, we don't really know what was going on. And that's kind of what's so interesting. Totally. And, and this poem is a great example of that because like, so um, there is a text of this poem that is available online, like a translation of the text mm-hmm. uh, that's available online for free. Um, through the Center for Hellenic Studies, which is, for the record, a great resource for online scholarly and ancient material um, that I think was done by Greg Naj. It seems to be a relatively recent translation. I was I was looking at it. Great. And what I will say about this translation is that there are at least two or three places in this poem that are, like, super contested by scholars mm, as to what the text is talking about including but not limited to like so i'll 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 uh i'll pick out my favorite one which is that in line so yeah like one of my favorite weird disagreements is in line 61 um more or less there is a reference to uh, a thing that in the greek is a pharos which is a cloak the word means cloak as far as we know but we have an alexandrian scoliast who made a note on the text of this which says actually this is a reference to a plow it's like a dialectical term for a plow Hmm. like a like a plowshare which is like now hold on a minute because those are completely different things and (laughs) provide totally different because and it seems to be in the context of the poem that this thing is the cloak or possibly plow is an object that is maybe being dedicated to the goddess who is being praised in this poem who is some kind of dawn or sun goddess hmm. um also uncertain we don't even we're not even 100% sure who that is uh, oh like God. who is this poem actually dedicated to we don't know but yeah so like it could be a plow, and, which could have something to do with, you know, agriculture. Like, it could have something to do with the, agri- the time in the agricultural year when this was performed. It could have something to do also with that this poem is maybe to do with, like, displaying women of newly of marriage, like, marriageable age, and that it's that kind of agricultural, like metaphor for marriage and also reproduction plowing mm-hmm. fields etc mm-hmm. um 
Whereas a cloak, like fabric offerings are very common uh, in, you know, like offerings to goddesses in particular. It's it's pretty common in, in various Greek rituals. Like we, we have that a bunch of places in the Greek world to be like offering fabric to goddesses. And also there are a lot of references in the text of the poem to the girls who are singing this, the chorus themselves, to what they're wearing, how they're adorned, their own clothing and dresses. So maybe mm. it's more along those lines. Like, but yeah. we don't, like, how do we take this? <laughs> uh, so I it's a very that. ambiguous thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I want to keep going on this, but I also want to go back because I... Mm-hmm. um in looking for this poem and mostly because if I can find a public domain, like copyright free translation, I will read it uh, ahead of time so that people have heard it. Um, that's, but I, so I was like just peripherally looking there, but um, I went onto the Wikipedia for Alkman uh, <laughs> with a split second. And, but the very first thing I saw was about the dialect, which is why I read mm-hmm. it and I will clarify, but uh, this the Wikipedia section, and I have to read it into the microphone because it is incredibly funny. So the dialect section of Alkman's Wikipedia. Um, oh, you know what? I missed the first line, which is slightly nicer um, to Alkman. So I just first read the Doric dialect. Like Alkman used the Dori- the Doric dialect, which does not usually sound beautiful. <laughs> and then I realized, but no, it, it does say. Pausanias says that even though Alkman used the Doric dialect, which does not usually sound beautiful, it did not at all spoil the beauty of his songs. And I just think that's so funny. Like, I just love that people were kind of rude like that, even in the ancient world. Like, pretty sure probably people speaking the Doric dialect as their native tongue probably did not see it as not beautiful. But I love the yeah, Pausanias. Like yeah. it's not very nice, but his despite how ugly his language is, like his poems are still pretty. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like I came up with that quote. Like I, that quote came up. So when I was developing the paper that I wrote on this poem, um, I had to give like a presentation on it first mm. for the class that I was in, and and I I brought up that quote in <laughs> in uh, in my presentation. It was like ah, uh, yep. Doric dialect, which Pausanias calls not in the least the, the the translation that I had, which I don't even know where I got this from. I might have translated it myself. This kind of sounds like my own nonsense. Was uh, <laughs> not in the least euphonious. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like he really, but it, apparently, even according to Pausanias, Alcman did decently well. Yeah, um, it was still nice. It's, it's, I just love because mm-hmm. with the way I read it, because I was trying to read it like peripherally was like as if the person on wikipedia was saying that as if that was their opinion with because i didn't read the pausanias but and then i clicked on the like the site the citation and that's when it said pausanias and so i was like oh okay well that makes sense but first thinking that it did not clarify that in the actual like entry and i just think that is just so much funnier is the idea that like someone in wikipedia was just like doric is like kind of ugly but like at least alchemist poetry was still nice <laughs> I'm just gonna throw shade at all of the spot like Doric in general. Yeah, I yeah. I can I will say from as a modern person reading Doric, like Doric is a nightmare. The, the okay. dialectical differences are are do make it quite hard to understand sometimes. And and um, also in coursework, I recently read the Lysistrata, which has mm. portions where 
Spartan characters are on stage and they speak in this like comical, like clownish version of Doric, which Aristophanes invented to like make fun of. And in the commentary that we were using, the person who wrote the commentary in the notes for all of the Doric, quote unquote Doric dialogue, just glossed it all into Attic in the comments. Oh. (laughs) Like he had just rewritten the Doric into Attic dialect because the way that Aristophanes lampooned the way Spartans talked is essentially incomprehensible. Right. (laughs) It's like somebody, it's like somebody pretending, like, putting on like a super thick like fake i don't know irish or like like accent or something like yeah. that like, like, yeah like making really fun put, of an and, accent yeah totally. i can completely so, imagine or like making i feel like making fun of australians also often comes down to stuff like yes, that. Yeah. yeah yeah totally um and like just kind of weird but but it seems that the doric accent as it were the doric dialect was quite thick even well into the classical period interesting um, as as and i i do think some of the dialectical differences were starting to smooth out a bit by the time we get to like the fifth century when you know yeah but aristophanes is a bit of a dick so like i guess yes that. well yes aristophanes <laughs> uh made his career on being a jackass so that's yeah you know um but no alchemist but alchemist writing is lovely um it was also very difficult in antiquity though like we we do have this this like scolia these these alexandrian scolia on this poem um which several of which are notes explaining the language like Hmm. the, the vocabulary and stuff like that so it seems like even though and and so the other thing is we have some evidence and i'm like I'm like mentally citing Felix Budelman who did a who has a quite a good like chapter about this but this poem was re-performed like this chorus was re-performed in Athens like it had an afterlife mm. um which is probably why it survived yeah. uh oh, god that makes sense yeah um but even despite being re-performed and so on that it clearly was like interesting enough for other later audiences to take an interest in it it was still it was difficult like the Mm -hmm. language was difficult and unfamiliar to people so you know the alexandrians who were writing down these poems or copying them um were like some reader in the future is going to need a note to explain what kind of feels like shakespeare or like middle english or something you know where you're like yeah totally like this is my language but also i'm gonna need some help like not i mean shakespeare is obviously easier but like but a lot of people coming to it from nothing yeah yeah you're gonna need help understanding shakespeare yeah and i mean you know and we're talking about well and i think we're talking about a similar span of time like we're talking Mm -hmm. about probably four or five or even 600 years um between when alkman was writing and when the alexandrians were looking at his poetry and going what is this guy on about yeah yeah um and then of course we've had another two thousand years since then for us to look at alchemy and go what is this guy on about yeah and what were these you know alexandrians on about yeah and yeah and what were these alexandrians because this is the other thing i mean i was just talking about this this scoliast that gives us this note about the plow Mm -hmm. but like we don't know if the scoliast was right yeah it's just something that he thought was true. Yeah. Whoever this person, the scribe was, the scholar, 
also in antiquity sometime who like why who knows maybe he was completely wrong and we should just take it as cloak and you know but it's it's all these like fragmentary poems i actually love them because of how much space there is to interpret and and read and try to figure out but also they are so hard to understand sometimes yeah but no this is a great one and and it really does like it's really fun to read some of the scholarship on this on this poem is really fun to read because it's basically just people speculating wildly love that very feels very (laughs) classics (laughs) there was one thing that i read who was like yeah this was part of the cult of helen at sparta Mm. and i was like i know there was a there was a cult of helen at sparta but this Mm. person seemed to think it there was like there was like someone who thought it was like helen and yeah yeah, uh, so, yeah, like, I, I have, like, a summary in this paper that I wrote of, of some of this stuff, and, yeah, like, some people say that, um, Greg Nosh thinks it's Helen, uh, let me see. Uh, I have to scroll. Um, yeah, there's a few people who argue that the goddess that the poem is dedicated to, who, she's named Autis uh alpha omega okay t- tau uh iota sigma like it's kind of a- autis and then and then possibly or orthria um which people debate whether that one's actually a noun or if it's an adjective mm. which is lovely so fun to not even be able to tell what a word is um <laughs> but some people think that that might be a reference to Artemis Orthea rather than Orthrea, who has an attested cult at Sparta. Greg Naj thinks it's Helen. Uh, and then um, there's there's a really great I like if anybody listening has um, institutional access to scholarly stuff and is interested in this. Uh, a guy named Alexander Dale wrote uh, an article called "Topics in Alcuin's Parthenon," which like summarizes a lot of the views on different a few different aspects of this um Mm. including a bunch of the like who is this poem dedicated to and like it seems like the only thing anybody can agree on is that it's something to do with the dawn fascinating but i is it ever the idea being that it's like eos or something or it's just something to do with the dawn but not eos (laughs) it it doesn't seem to be like yeah, it doesn't seem to be Eos. It seems to be some other goddess who is affiliated with the dawn. Unless Autis is like a Doric name for Eos, right. which is possible. Yeah. Um, but we don't have any attestation of like a specific cult of Eos at Sparta. So yeah. probably it's so it's probably like dawn imagery being associated with the cult of some other possibly yeah. more major goddess yeah that makes sense yeah i think I, I think people the reason people like the artemis the artemis orthia thing is because um the other thing that's going on a lot in this poem is like female rites of passage and like female coming of age type of seeming stuff that that mm. it seems like this poem convincingly people argue and and i kind of agree with this that this poem seems to be for a chorus that would be performing 
in a context where it's girls who have recently come of age to be married and they are singing and dancing and they're all adorned and dressed up and they're displaying their beauty as kind of part of a public ritual as a coming of age thing which may have been parallel to a boy's coming of age thing Um, and that stuff was involved with the cult of artemis at sparta so that's there's like a little bit of an attested link sort of yeah this one's a little out of my wheelhouse <laughs> no fair i mean it to me it sounds like that could also be pretty well connected to to helen though too like less so necessarily mm. the accompanying boys but like i mean i don't know enough about the cult of helen at sparta obviously but like helen broadly feels to me like a god like a goddess slash you know woman who could be pretty well associated with that just due to her entire story so that just seems interesting mm-hmm. as well like snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over six million active hourly workers Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Yeah, now I'm sort of fascinated by the the two possibilities because Artemis certainly yeah that makes equal sense. What is the um, epithet in that case? Like the Artemis, is it the Orthria or Orthea, whichever so way? So her her epithet her epithet is Orthea. The okay. word in the poem is Orthria, right? Yeah. So it's not quite right. And um, another very prominent scholar of kind of choral poetry, especially women's choral poetry in general, but including this poem in specific um, is Claude Kalam, who uh, very strongly rejects correcting the text to Orthea in that mm. line because it, it fucks up the meter. Oh, and he's like, there's no way that Alkman would compromise the meter that badly when that doesn't happen anywhere else. Right. Um, That's so, so interesting. That makes Yeah. Sense. Yeah. So it has to be it has to be or or three or three or three I in the in that line. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a question of I think it's or three I actually is is what it is. Which so then the question stands: Is it a nominative plural I ending, which is agreeing with something else in a preceding line, which would check out, or is it a dative of some kind, which stands on its own as the name of a person or thing? Or is it some kind of other situation, in which case, you know, like, it's possible that it's kind of a time expression that this is happening at daybreak, um, Mm. because that's what that word means is like at dawn time or something like that. Um, It's, it's very, like, and it's one of these things where grammatically, depending on how you choose to take it, I think in that, let me just see, how does, yeah, so I think the like again going back to this translation that i'm looking at by naj he takes it as or three i dative singular for the dawn goddess mm. as like a name in its own right but mm. other people take it as either at daybreak and still other people take it as like the dawn time pleiades agreeing with there's a reference to the pleiades two lines above and some mm. people take it as Ugh. agreeing n- grammatically with them i don't know like yeah there's so many welcome options. to philology <laughs> yeah i still like i don't know ancient greek um so i'm yeah, fascinated no. by this but like yeah i mean it makes me both want to learn it and also not <laughs> yeah well and and like this is the kind of thing that you know we 
us kind of philology types in classics can spend our whole lives arguing about these yeah. like piddly differences but it does make a significant difference to yeah. how we understand who this poem might be dedicated to and also um also how we parse the reference to the pleiades whether we parse the pleiades here as actually being a reference to the constellation which would make sense it would place the performance of this poem kind of temporarily because the Pleiades were in the sky at certain times mm. um and also because mythologically which you may be aware of um mm. the Pleiades were a group of young women who were mm -hmm. cast into the sky to become a constellation so having a reference to them in a poem that is performed by a chorus of young women is very appropriate especially since this is a poem that is very it makes a lot of references it makes references directly to the chorus itself what they're doing who they are a bunch of the members of the chorus are named in the poem hmm. which is quite That's cool interesting. yeah yeah it's hard to say whether these were generic names or if they were the actual names of people or if i mean i think probably some of them seem to have been generic names because one of the girls who gets talked about the most is named Hagasikara, which basically means chorus leader. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, but there's also like, uh, uh, let me see. There's also um, Nano, Areta, Thylacus, Cleocythra, you know, Astaphis, Damareta. There's like a whole bunch of women's names that are listed as part of the poem. Um, and particularly, like, talking about these girls and their beauty as opposed to the beauty of Hagasikara and Agito, who are named as kind of the chorus leaders, it seems like, and who are, like, the most beautiful of them all. So there's kind of a, what what some people refer to as a beauty competition going on <laughs> in this poem. Mm. That yeah. feels connected to a certain other character, too. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. It's it's really neat stuff and and yeah like I I kind of like the I do like the the Helen thing I I it's it's like she's she's not as connected to the Dawn thing but I could mm -hmm. totally see this as being related to the cult of Helen in some way there there's also that so we're pretty sure that the missing part of the poem was a mythological narrative that told Ugh. a story yeah I know Sorry, I want right. It. <laughs> I know, I want it so bad. Um, and it seems to have told... Well, and so it seems like the beginning of this poem may have told a myth of uh, these these two guys. I think it's two guys, though. Maybe there's more, more of them um, called the sons of... They were the sons of a guy named Hippocoon, Um So they're just called the Hippocoon on to die uh i don't that know is the their... wrong father's name to then like have it be in that form like usually they're I know. easier to read that sounds like a nightmare <laughs> yeah. yeah there's there's so much um but so they were they were uh and and that's an abduction myth as mm. far as i am aware they were they were and so the other thing that connects this back to helen is that my understanding and again Someone just at me on Twitter about it. If I say a thing that's wrong, I'm sorry. Um, I I accept that. <laughs> uh, I'm also fine the, with it. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, 
were rival suitors to Castor and Polyduques, or or um, who were yeah. you know Helen's brothers, the, the Dioscuri, yeah, yeah, the Dioscuri, and they were then the Dioscuri and, and rival suitors for these uh for I, who I believe are two sisters who are referred to as the Leucippides, the like white horses, who are these two these women um and the hippocamontidae were then punished for trying to rival the gods um wow but the locipedes are associated with helen um probably partly by affiliation by way of the Dioscori. but yeah. yeah so there's like there's kind of like this theme of the the pursuit of the young women and not trying to challenge the gods in love but still like you know the pursuit of marriage and stuff like that being a significant theme and then this transition into the part of the poem that we do have where it's these women who are showing off their beauty and they they're like making an offering to the goddess but then they're talking about how you know their beauty their beauty and they're competing in their beauty to try to win um fame and there's some kind of there's some stuff that can be sometimes translated in a kind of like homoerotic context of like mm. because it's the female chorus singing their admiration for the beauty of these other girls and how overcome they are by like hagasikara and mm. stuff like that and it's like ah yeah girls <laughs> yeah like lyric poetry it seems like the only place we ever get like girls doing anything let alone like girls in a sexual manner that's like good and not gross yeah <laughs> like that's so interesting well and girls expressing this like aesthetic but also erotic appreciation for each other and each other's beauty and and talking mm -hmm. about like their own and and like there's a reference to a woman to these girls from the house of so and so that seems like maybe she's like a trainer or a a purveyor of erotic charms as the way oh one God. person refers to her it's like ah uh, there's like clearly like a whole world of female beauty and like girls readying themselves to and like coming out into public to present themselves in a way that is meant to be attractive to potential suitors mm -hmm. that is going on here that we just like we have so little access to it and it's also so spartan like in athens this is like not the thing yeah that's great i love that i mean the, the interesting thing about sparta even though we're lacking in like a lot of clarification on it is like the role of women right and like mm -hmm. the level of freedom that they might have had particularly in comparison to the athenians and so i mean this feels like a lot of it and that that's so wonderful i'm glad i'm talking to you before I have to write an episode on Spartan women. So that's great. This episode yeah, will come out after is... it, but I'm talking to you before and it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it's an interesting one because, yeah, like it does seem like women were. Like, I'll say, I, I think it is a general misconception that women were invisible in Athenian life. Mm. Certainly the cultural kind of ideal, the social ideal in Athens was that women were like neither seen nor heard, as it were, um, because, you know, no reputation was better than any None. reputation, <laughs> even yeah. a good reputation. Right. You know, you did not you did not want to be uh, talked about in public. It was kind of bad. Um, but like, there's no way that women never went out. Yeah. Even yeah. in that, like, there's just no way women surely saw each other and were seen on the street 
all the time. Mm -hmm. But in Athenian kind of cultural and in cultural products that we have from Athens, all their texts and stuff like that, they're very like, no, women are in the house. Mm -hmm. Women have to be in the house. Whereas it seems like at least the perception of Sparta was that women were out more doing stuff. And that these kinds of things, these dynamics of, you know, the display of female beauty as part of a coming of age thing was like, potentially, again, like big asterisk on anything that I say about (laughs) this poem. We're Um, like five weeks into my Spartan episode. They know there's a big, big (laughs) asterisk on like, when I say Spartan series, whatever, um, there's a big old asterisk on, on everything is like, we're guessing with Sparta. (laughs) Yeah. But like, like it seems to be the case that at least some of the time um women could be could have public lives and public pers- persona in a way that was just not possible as much in Athens mm-hmm. without being like a particular kind of woman in Athens mm-hmm. um which is to say either a priestess or a sex worker like 90% of the time (laughs) was how you got to be exist in public and have a name and a reputation as a woman was either having some kind of big religious thing going on or to just like be a Hatira. But that's like a whole other, that's a whole other (laughs) can of worms. Um, Speaking of papers that I wrote where I started doing the research and was like oh wow scholars do not agree about this at all on like Katera generally yeah yeah Mm. that's I feel like that that's something I've learned just like peripherally in a really fascinating way yeah yeah no so people really really do like and and this is the thing is like scholarship disagrees and I, I I think one of the things is like particularly in the last couple of decades as first of all people have gotten more interested in the lives and 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 deeds of women in antiquity sort of on their own in their own right um but also just as ways of thinking about gender and and women in the world have gotten more sophisticated in scholarship because of you know feminism and feminist theory and stuff like that and just like also more women in yeah just women academia. existing <laughs> yeah yeah like <laughs> it, it has it has gotten a lot better um and the scholarship just keeps getting more interesting mm-hmm. um and and also like you know this this poem i i was drawn to it not even particularly by way of the the gender aspect or the the like eroticism aspect which is unusual for me because that's normally my whole bag um but uh yeah but because this is a really interesting poem in terms of like performance and theatricality which is also a thing that has sprung up i think in classics a bit in the last i mean it's always kind of been there but yeah Yeah. I mean, God, I still have so many questions. Well, just I want to hear more about this poem broadly. But also Mm. one thing I wanted to ask earlier um, is so the the actual epithet of Artemis, what does Mm -hmm. that mean versus the dawn thing? I have to. Okay, hold on. I have to. Yeah, sorry. Also, that's going to be a tricky question. Uh, It looks like it's one of these. um, I think it's similar to where we get like orthos like straight up or or aligned um though 
it can be taken variously. It seems like there's some. I'm just like looking at the the at Perseus. Shout out mm. to Perseus for glossing things for me. Um, it the seems like there's definitely. Greek, so. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, no, so it seems like there's trans. A lot of the translations for that particular for Orthia um, fall along the lines of like in line or like straight, like straight as in straight mm. up and down or yeah. whatever. Um, though there's also. Totally. And it, it does seem like there's also some kind of um, uh, potentially some uh, implication of like high pitched when applied mm. to voices. Hmm. Um, in this case, Artemis Orthia. So the reason that her um, the reason that her cult in particular is the one that people are like, oh, maybe it's this is because she presided over this particular Artemis presided over also presided over a coming of age ritual for boys in Spartan mm. and Artemis so, did that interesting yes and specifically it was it's kind of I, my understanding is that this is this is the kind of brutal one where they like beat them at the oh. they like beat these children at, at her altar right um that is cool yeah um but so there's there's this kind of parallel of like there potentially if this if this poem is dedicated to Artemis Orthia um or related to her in some way that it's possible that it that there was also a girls coming of age ritual that was mm -hmm. happening at the same festival or something like that or at least under the auspices of the same cult as mm -hmm. this boys coming of age ritual which is yeah. quite neat um there's a scholar who advanced the idea that the cloak if if in this poem we take we're going back to the fire house. Yeah. <laughs> if we take it as a cloak, that in fact it might have been like a red military cloak. Hmm. And that there may and and there is some kind of military-ish vocabulary in this poem, and and his argument is that this poem is actually directly parallel to, like, it 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 militarizes femininity in a way that is meant to parallel the boys coming of age that is happening at the same time which interesting. is kind of interesting i think that it i think it's a reach yeah i understand the interpretation i think that it's a reach and it envisions like the argument that i made in my paper about this was that scholars who talk about inter interpretation of this poem often do so by way of assuming a very particular kind of performance or performance context or like aspects of the performance without necessarily acknowledging that what they're doing is acknowledge is imagining a certain kind of performance and right but because so many aspects of how the poem was performed are embedded in the text the number of girls in the chorus their gestures to the chorus leader even some of there's some like suggestion of what their movements might have been mm. the having the offering either present kind of on stage as it were or possibly even in their hands if it was fabric um there's like a lot going on there um there's like references to horses which might have been that which is generally um you see a lot of references to horses and and horse racing and things like that in kind of erotic metaphor from time to time mm. but also in competition metaphor um it's yeah uh mm -hmm. 
but but that you know like references to dancing um and and a lot of like pointing words the technical term there being deictic language but words that indicate something that is happening right here which of course we can't see but would be mm-hmm. visible if you were watching this as a performance mm-hmm. and so you're kind of obliged to think about what this would have looked like how it would have been performed on stage or at an altar or whatever um as you read it and so a lot of very interesting interpretive stuff comes out of thinking about like you know if we take artemis orthia as the presiding goddess are we imagining the girls like marching in a line are they care like with the red military cloak to follow this this one guy's um particular interpretation or are we imagining them you know like or do we take for example if you know imagining going back to the plow for example do we imagine Mm -hmm. them gesturing to a plow on stage Mm -hmm. when they do that um stuff like that uh yeah i I don't know it's cool stuff yeah (laughs) i think it's fruitful yeah and it's it's interesting to to think about it with a potentially militaristic aspect just because i mean mm-hmm. in my case it's because i've spent like this entire series emphasizing how sparta was not like a particularly militaristic society um yeah and and so i i wonder about that and like whether that's also coming through the pre-existing mirage of like this idea about sparta cuz it feels to me that it would be kind of mm-hmm. a, a sort of inherently tied to this idea that was probably not particularly true about them but that they wanted everyone to think about them yeah totally and and like i agree with that i actually i i am more inclined to think about it in in line with the these like ideas about female beauty and aesthetics and and like the display of that rather than relating it directly back to the kind of spartan ideal of math like militaristic masculinity that seems Mm -hmm. to have existed i think that we that that is an interpretation that we are projecting based on our modern assumptions about what spartan culture was like mm-hmm. um because like there's just as much language about like like i really like there's some kind of interpretations that suggest that you know maybe this ritual would have been performed like at dawn and there's a lot of references to light and to how the chorus leader is in particular um agito and hagasikara uh, so they're named in the text are like shining or glowing hmm. and how their light is so beautiful and i i sort of pick like i personally what i picture is this being performed just as like the sun starts to rise and like you can see the stars so you get this reference to the stars um but as the light comes these girls in like their beautiful clothing and their jewelry and whatnot kind of shine in the dawn light that that, that like to me that is the compelling image mm-hmm. in the poem um I the militaristic thing is like an interesting take. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I you know, there's a lot of possibly possible takes. Um, yeah, sort of. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that's, that's fascinating itself. Like how many takes you can get out of one totally. poem or fragmentary poem, even like yeah. Um, well, and yeah, I mean, again, we have what like sixty lines of this, and it it does cut off. It seems to cut off kind of before the end, also. Mm. Um, and like, but even with that, we have all of these references to just so much stuff that it's so fruitful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love ancient texts. They're freaking fun. They're so fun.
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Yeah, there's it's just endless. And I I mean, the thing that's become like just a running theme on my podcast over the past couple of years, the more I the deeper I get into like both talking to people like you and academics broadly, and then also 
just generally how deep I've gotten into like really nitty gritty ancient sources. But like all I ever want to do is remind people of how things survive and how many things did not survive and fragmentary nature of all of this and like why some things survive and why some don't. And like just there's so much there and then it just... I think it just adds so much interest to everything that we do have, but also to like the fragments that are there and like the big old question marks about what could be missing. Like, I love the idea that the pieces of this that are missing are like really explicitly like this poem is about Helen and how these girls performed this very specific dance for Helen and like maybe the pieces that are missing very succinctly answer every single question and like they probably yeah. don't but they could no. and I love that they idea. Could. yeah 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 it's it's so great and like obviously you know I don't know it's it's funny I like to play this game when I meet new academics like if I if I'm just like in a casual conversation with another classicist I like to ask them like okay, this is like, the, and, and I got this from a professor of mine. If, if like the sands of Egypt could spit up one more thing, what would oh. you want? <sighs> like um, if you could have yeah. anything. <laughs> I mean, my answer is always going to be something Euripides, I think. But then I'm also like, oh my God, like we have a lot of Euripides. So maybe like I should be prioritizing something else. Like people ask questions like in, like that question in so many forms or like, mm-hmm. you know, if you could bring some, if you could have a conversation with somebody from the yeah. past, like what, who would it be? And like all the, like I always have like 18 different answers depending on like my mood or what I feel like I have to know in this moment. Do you have an answer for it for your own question? I, so I think that I would want something by somebody that we don't have. Um, I mm. would want either, I would want either one of the pieces of the epic cycle that we don't have, mm. or I would want a tragedian that we have nothing from. Yeah, fair. Yeah, smart. Because like, so much of what we quote know about tragedy is yeah. like based on three this guys. assumption that the three guys are representative of their genre. And it's yes. like i don't know we don't know that how do we know that that's so true (laughs) Uh, true. yeah and and the other the other i mean obviously having more epic would be great i love epic um just because like i like to me homer is like the big text and Mm -hmm. i love comparing homer to new stuff so more new stuff to compare homer to would be great but like I think I think I would want I think I would want a new tragedy. I would I would love like there's some that we kind of know about like um oh my god, I'm forgetting the the guy's name, but the guy who wrote um the the Persians the like sack of Athens tragedy that was so upsetting that they banned it from ever being reperformed. Wow. <laughs> Because he wrote it, it was like too soon after the Acropolis was burned by the Persians. Yeah, and this guy like wrote a tragedy about it, and everybody was overwrought, and the city was like, "You can't do that." Yeah. Do we have fragments of it, or do we just know that? It no, we just know about that? it. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's like there's like tragedies that we have either fragments of or that we have like a synopsis. Mm-hmm. of them from later but yeah i i want but i think i would want like a new author yeah yeah even if we could I mean, only have one if if i had to pick something that i like 100 percent know exists um i often 
think of um the Cadmus of Euripides or mm. the uh Aeschylus's Kabiroi. And those are like entirely based in my own obsession with the idea that there just had to be more to the story of Cadmus and Harmonia. Cause like there just mm. had to be. They're both yeah. very important and we have nothing. And like I there has to be more. Um and so I just desperately want to know more. But then that the same thing connects back to when I like I think I mean, I have no bearing on this at all, except the, the fact that the Theban like, epic cycle existed, except that we think it was mm-hmm. about Seven Against Thebes, which makes me really angry because I think it should be about Cadmus. Like, mm-hmm. I just think there had he to be He fought a dragon. Like, <laughs> we want not, more. I mean, wait, wait, wait. he did so many things. He comes from Phoenicia. He brings the alphabet. He marries a goddess. He is the only hero to marry a goddess. She is the only yeah. goddess to marry a mortal and live as a mortal. And she's not just any goddess. She's literally the daughter of Aphrodite Aphrodite and Ares. Like there is just so much to that. That's so inherently different to all the other surviving mythology about heroes and gods and goddesses and founding of cities that like there has to be more. There simply has to be be more. There must be more. And I need to know it. I need to know it more than anything. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, yeah, so, I mean, uh, the most we have is fucking Nones, who's like, <laughs> like, like, that's yeah. like all we have. And I'm like, sir, I, I could use something other than this, like, Byzantine weirdo who wrote the longest thing ever. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have this is, this is <laughs> totally. This is kind of how I feel about um, if, if, if I were to have something from like a known tradition, tragedian like one of the big three i think i would want i would want aeschylus's myrmidons mm. because achilles is my boy i mean um, also yeah that just sounds great yeah uh and like as far as i am aware that's the like horny achilles and patroclus one really um, yeah we know that he wrote one and i think we have fragments of the myrmidons oh. that was like oh this is like romance but there's so there's like but he he did a he did an achilles trilogy um and i would kill for any of those yeah (laughs) like any of them Uh, how do you feel about the alphabet plays because i'm just kind of obsessed with how we get those insights and like if you're tragedian they're so i think they're really cool i mean i like obviously i am grateful for every scrap that we have gotten (laughs) um but also, like, I, I'm, like, in some ways I feel like a fake tragedy person sometimes because I love all of them so much that when somebody's, like, I don't know, what do you think about, like, the collection versus the, the like, alphabet plays? I'm, like, they're all great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I agree entirely. Like, I've – they're all great. Um, But also, like, what I just love about them – one, I love telling people how they survived. Like, people who mm-hmm. don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's so like, cool. I, it's the greatest story ever. Um. My listeners have heard it a million times before, but if they're blanking on it in this moment, I just want to explain that the alphabet plays are those subsection of Euripidean plays that don't survive because they were popular or taught in schools. They survive because one guy collected them and his one scroll of this one section of letters happened to survive. And so we like have all these plays that wouldn't have otherwise survived. There's the TLDR. But like the fact yeah. that that happened is the fucking coolest thing in the world. And then also the fact that through that we get these plays that weren't the most popular weren't necessarily considered the best like that is so insightful and i think of the helen all the time because the helen is like amazing and weird and like oh yeah wasn't popular but like it's so cool 
I, I I actually have done a bunch of work on the Helen recently, and mm. yeah, like I I love the Helen. It is such a strange one, and like I yeah, like I really love the like weirdo plays, and yes, I I love the Helen. I I'm so glad that we have the Helen. Like I'm really like we have the. I, I'm like looking at the list now to remind yeah. myself of which ones came from I know, from I always where. forget like, which are which. I always think yeah, like, Alcestis should be from there because the Alcestis is also fucking bananas, but it's yeah, not. Unhinged. So. Yeah, unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I also, for some reason, I always think that the Andromache is from there because nobody fucking likes it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I think of those often, like Alcestis and Andromache, but then I'm like, well, they're the wrong letters. They literally can't be part of yeah. it. Yeah. But like, but- in my head, they are too. <laughs> Yes, the Andro- I love. I actually love the Andromache, but yeah, it's like not very popular. But yeah, like the the um, the Helen, like Ion, the right. both of the Iphigenia plays. Like, where would we be without Is it both of them? Yeah, I think so. Oh. It looks like I thought uh, it was one of them, but I couldn't imagine which. I feel like no. I feel like if it, if either of them were going to be ones that we had, it would probably have been alice because that's like the one that seems to have been the one that was popular and people like knew yeah. about the, it's also the more well-known story um, it is yeah Taurus the torians still came first though right I yes think he, yeah. he wrote that one first yeah. yeah that's so interesting yeah, yeah and well, is it and, the heraclidae is one of them too uh i believe so okay. uh i feel like not yes. the Hippolytus. yes Hippolytus, not the hippolytus okay no um that's not a shock the hippolytus is great no, you I know. I'm more thinking of letter based, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah. I know there's, yeah, <laughs> yeah." Uh, no, they're they're, but yeah, like we really, we really sure have some stuff that, like, I am so so grateful that we have, um, because yeah, like the, uh, like we have the Cyclops too. Mm. From oh, hello, my cat has done that like eight times today. So yes, um. We have the the Cyclops as well, which is so so important because it's the only satyr play that we have. Right, right. I still not read that. I need to like. It's very weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love the weird. Like, it's funny because people often ask me, like, "Oh my god, you've been doing this for so long. Like, how do you have that much content?" And I'm like, "The plays. Like, I've not even gotten through. Like, not even close to. I mean, may, I don't even think I could say a quarter. Maybe a quarter of the yeah. plays I have covered. Maybe. Like, yeah. because there's just so many and they're all so weird and yeah, yeah. i and there's, like that's the there's tragedy. so much to talk about yeah. yeah and like comedies i've only covered the frogs and lysistrata yeah and like i need to go back and it's do it again because i know so much more what was that so those are kind of the heavy hitters yeah exactly yeah oh, i'm gonna do the thesmophoria zeusai mm-hmm. soon which nice. i'm excited about yeah. but like i have really strong feelings about aristophanes because of how he seems to have felt about euripides particularly from that play so i'm kind of excited yeah yeah because no, i'm gonna for sure and, um because i'm really pro euripides over here but yes i i strongly agree yeah he it's it's very funny i like aristophanes really like what a guy uh he had some yeah. takes he had some hot takes <laughs> um yeah i i just like i love i love the gaps i love the gaps mm-hmm. i really like it's it's the thing that drew me to classics in the first place in a lot of ways being able to look at a thing and consider it in light of what's missing Mm. is just like a really engaging way to think about something in in my opinion 
I think that's what keeps me going. So I can see why that would draw you right in. Like the myths started me because they're just weird and fun. But yeah, the thing that keeps me going after five years and leaves me just as interested as I ever was is exactly that is like the missing pieces and the speculation and yeah yeah and and being able to just like to to like circle back around to Alkman to be able to like hold the text up to the light and just rotate it around and around and see all different things and have like you know, I, I mentioned a few interpretations of this poem as we've been talking that I, like, don't agree with that I think are kind of a reach or that are, like, pretty hot takes uh, or require doing stuff to the text or, or making assumptions about the text that I don't think are necessary, really. Mm-hmm. But there's still, like, valid interpretations in a lot of ways because there's so much to know but also so much that we don't know that you can just there's like a million ways to fill in a gap i have a friend who's a physicist and this whole paradigm makes him insane because he's like (laughs) how can you not want to have an answer and i'm like i love not having an answer yeah (laughs) i love being able to invent six different answers and not feel particularly like any one of them is wrong you know the answer could be so disappointing and then where would we be like it would be it's exactly. it's much more interesting to to have all these theories and speculations and and these open-ended things yeah no i agree yeah, completely absolutely yeah. and it's like on the one hand sometimes it's like you know i asked that question about like what what would you want if the Egyptian sands could spit up one more thing? And there's always the danger of like, what if I ask for the thing that I want the most in the world and I get it and then it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that in itself is like great because so much of what's been preserved has been preserved because it was the stuff people really liked and it was Mm -hmm. the greatest stuff. But like, I want more of the the garbage. Yeah. Like if the Helen is amongst the detritus of the ancient world, then I want more of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there are so many texts that like that aren't going to be interesting to everybody, but are surely going to be interesting to someone. That's Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that I like reading fragments and I like reading like lyric poetry is great for that because there's there's actually quite a lot of it. But so much of it is like short or fragmentary or weird that it's like hard to deal with. but a lot of it's really great and like interesting um and some of it's like horrible but it's like horrible in an interesting way and i don't know i mean horrible in an interesting way is like so much of ancient greece (laughs) truly (laughs) truly but like yeah in in like the best way like yeah i mean every once in a while like it doesn't really happen that much anymore but like it used to be a big critique i think people had when they started listening to me is that they would like listen to me you know quote unquote complain about like the worst parts of the ancient world and they'd just be like why are you even doing this you clearly don't like it and I'm like that's absolutely not true like you can love something and be so fascinated by it and want to know literally everything while still acknowledging that like lots of it was horrible like there's that yeah. does not you know they they're not contradictory totally, and, totally. and yeah it, it's like I mean yeah, I don't know. It's it's just all it's all generally um so fascinating. But th- what you're saying about about lyric poetry broadly is that I mean I'm so thrilled that you asked about this Alkman poem because like 
because of how I do my show, really the only way that I can cover lyric poetry in any kind of comprehensive way is to have somebody on to talk about it, to share these points, to just like actually run through it in the way that you've done, because it's not a one person thing. I mean, like, if I can find public domain translations of things, I will just read them on the show. And that can sometimes be helpful. But with lyric poetry, so often they're fragmentary, or they require so much um, explanation, so many explanatory details, because they're not often narrative. Like, mm-hmm. or if they are narrative, they go through like 18 different things, and you still need to understand everything around it. So it, it's so hard for me as like a one person show to cover that. But when I have another yeah. person, yeah, you get to like go through all of these things and ask questions and you can explain it, all these different things that are so interesting. Um, but it's, it's harder to do by myself. So I don't know. That's totally. all a fancy way of saying thank you uh, for bringing up Alkman and talking about it. Yeah. I, when I saw that you were talking about Sparta, I was like, Oh, something that I have a hot take on <laughs> that is like, and like, I, I mean, I said this at the beginning and, and I, I have said this, some variation of this like lyric poetry is not my immediate wheelhouse um this was something that i got to like do a research project on but it's interesting because with something like this poem and even kind of alkman as an author in general there's so little of it that it's actually not that hard it was like i to some extent i was able to become a bit of an expert on this poem and like the the available interpretations and its text um in like a semester's worth of work because yeah unlike tragedy or homer or something where you know i like i love those things because there's a million ways to read them but there have been a million ways to read them forever and people have been reading them forever and so it's really hard to like be to claim any kind of real expertise on homer i think because Mm -hmm. like there's too much to know Mm -hmm. and so i'm always like too. yeah like, especially totally. on homer oh my god <laughs> yeah and like it's so much fun like i there's always more to learn which makes it a very um gratifying research interest but i'm also like i don't know if i want to wade into this like on a public in a public forum too much because yeah i i can't i don't feel like i can claim any real expertise i can only claim my own knowledge which is surely incomplete whereas with this poem i was kind of like i saw you were talking about sparta and i was like oh i have this cool text that i read that was spartan and i like i feel like i know enough about it that i can talk about it pretty comprehensively in an hour two hours or whatever and and give people a window into one of the few spartan authors that we do have and what a text like this can offer us in terms of a culture that is really mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he comes up in my episodes as like basically the only Spartan source that we have that's like actually generally from Sparta, but at the same time is not particularly helpful because of him just being a lyric poet. Um, and so, but yeah. having you break down these little bits at least is so insightful into Sparta. And yeah, it's definitely the perfect way to like accompany all the other much more like um it's hard to describe how my sparta series has ended up just purely because i came at it um looking at it like in comparison to my atlantis series from last year which is like basically the intention being to to explore like the quote-unquote truth being that we don't necessarily know but here is what we try to understand um but also to like counteract the modern narrative that has been sort of taken up by the worst of the internet and the worst of like humanity broadly 
And so I think yeah. having this poem to talk about as like sort of the final like extra almost uh, episode of the Spartan series is like a, a lovely way to end it too because it's a really heavy reminder that for all we think of them as like the movie 300 and these like militaristic weirdos like they were mostly just like they were weirdos but like in a really nice way where like they just yeah. did a lot of singing and dancing and even women got to sing and dance and how fun is that like they were weird compared to the rest of the Greek world but like in a wholesome once you ignore the helots way yeah yeah and i mean this is the thing is like we would also think that the athenians were weirdos compared to everybody else if we didn't have as much yeah. as True. we do from them yeah so, if it wasn't all so athena centric to begin with yeah yeah so we you know like it it is a shame that we have so little of Sparta because I'm sure that people would be able to reckon with them on much more even footing if we had more sources. As mm -hmm. it is, we have to do the best with what we have. Um, but like the Greeks were all weirdos and like that is fine. It's <laughs> um, why we love them, I think. Certainly why I do. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And uh, like I, you know, uh, cross like cultural studies is fun because different cultures are weird and interesting and they do things that are different from the way that we do them and from each other. And I, I don't know. That's just like, that's what makes it neat. If yeah. they were just like us, it would not be fun to study them. Certainly. I would not be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that sounds like a, a perfect way to, to wrap it up because this has been so much fun. Um, yes. Thank you so Why much. don't you tell my listeners about your podcast? Ah, oh, yes, I will. I will plug. I will plug my <laughs> podcast. Um, yes, so I am one of the co-hosts of Classically Trained, which is a podcast where myself and my my fellow host um, Allison uh, we discuss. Well, our tagline is: uh, We discuss modern media that depicts the ancient Mediterranean world, its peoples, and its stories. We break down uh, various pieces of modern media. We've done all kinds of different things, books, TV, film, uh, comics. We did a, an episode on the Wicked and the Divine. Um, we've done music. We want to do more music. You um, have done Percy Jackson, which I'm going to highlight for my listeners yes. because it is an ongoing saga with them and myself. Uh, in that I am always asked if I have read it and I will say once again with apologies that I have not uh, yes. but well, we did, that's what you guys and, are for <laughs> yeah and if you want to hear a series of very affectionate but um, like lovingly critical takes uh, we that's did exactly do, what we they did, want like, yeah well and we did we did a long like we actually did a long series we we did all five of the first the books in the the main first main series um as individual episodes so there's a lot of content if you want to hear people talk about Percy Jackson we can do that for you yeah we can um <laughs> but we've also done we've done a number of the kind of classic things we did gladiator we've done Troy um as well as some weirder things uh and yeah I mean you know we uh we are still doing more things so and we we don't we don't take requests but we do take suggestions so if there's some piece Smart. of media out there that you really think uh that you really think we should talk about um or should be talked about and uh live keeps saying no you should try us <laughs> instead 
<laughs> Maybe we'll say yes. No promises, though. You can at least attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I will. I will put links to all of your podcast stuff and everything um, in the episode's description. And then, yeah. do you want people to follow you on places? And if so, please share them. Yes, we. So the podcast classically trained is um, at. Oh, God, I have to make sure that I'm not going to say the wrong Twitter handle. I can't tell you (laughs) how many people do that. Like, it's hilarious. So I personally am at Julia underscore M underscore Peroni. It's just my name, pretty much. Um, I am not a super frequent Twitterer, but it's a good place to find me. Um, And the podcast is at Classically Pod. Two S's, two L's. which again, hopefully, I'm sure that we will be retweeting stuff when this episode goes up. Um, so we should and be I'll, relatively I'll link to everything as well. Yes, we should be relatively easy to find. And uh, yeah, and so we post about our our episodes um, out that are coming out and also that are forthcoming there. Um, so yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Yeah, this was so fun, Liv. Thank you. Uh, I had a great time. (laughs) I'm very glad. Ah, nerds, as always, thank you so much for listening. I love these conversations so damn much. I'm just in the process of scheduling in a whole new slew of recordings to, you're all going to love them. But also, if you are an expert in the field and you want to share your expertise on the show, please always feel free to fill out my potential guest form. It's on my website, mythsbaby.com slash contact. I can't have everyone on, but if your topic fits well with the podcast, really, or just like the ancient Mediterranean broadly, and if you want to rant about it, Chances are I will try to find a way to fit you in. And if you filled out my form a long time ago and you never heard from me, do feel free to fill it out again. I got a whole load of entries at the beginning and was never able to make everyone fit, even if I wanted to. Uh, And now, frankly, it's been so long that I kind of feel too awkward to still reach out to people because, you know, social anxiety. Um, So feel free to bump yourself up. Anyway, the point here is I fucking love conversation episodes so much and I am perpetually thrilled that you all do too. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and videos to editing and research. So much research. The podcast is hosted and monetized by iHeartMedia. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron, where you will get bonus episodes and more. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby or click the link in this episode's description. I am Liv and I love this shit. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.